Hello and welcome to the Get Transformed podcast of Transformation Christian Fellowship. We are so excited that you are tuning in, and hope that you would be empowered and transformed by the Word of God. Well, greetings to you all. Greetings to all of you who are in person and online. So excited to greet you this morning. Come on, give it up for our Father who has given us another day. So excited to have you in the place today. For those of you who don't know, my name is Dominique Williams. I'm affectionately known as Pastor Dom here at TCF. I'm the executive pastor here at Transformation Christian Fellowship. I'm so excited to see y'all in the place this morning. I'm so excited to see y'all faces. Y'all look good. Amen. I know it's a little jury outside, but I want y'all to get hype. Amen. I'm hyped this morning. Amen. It wasn't a, a perfect morning, but it's fueled me for this message. And so I want y'all to join in with me. I want you to connect with me into the spirit. Amen. So that you can receive this word. Um, I want to always give honor to my shepherd, um, Pastor Brandon, um, Senior Pastor Brandon Hill, his lovely wife, uh, Lady Oticia Hill. Um, they're not here this morning. Everything's fine. Amen. Don't be worried. Everything's fine. Amen. As you know, in just in a couple weeks, they're going to be welcoming a son into the world. Amen. So they have to do some preparation. But I assured him that I, we got the house. Amen. Me and my team. My team, can y'all stand really quick? Please stand real quick. My team, worship team, media team, all of y'all. These are the people who make it happen, and so, so grateful for y'all, and just grateful to be here in front of y'all this morning, amen? Um, turn with me, come with me to the book of 1 Samuel. The book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1. 1 Samuel, chapter 1. Um... So in preaching, there's this unspoken rule um, that you're not supposed to read over a certain amount of verses because um, it can get really long. Amen. Um, this morning, I have to break that rule um, because in order to in order for y'all to really grasp this account and this meaning, um, I have to read verses one through 18. And so um, I want you to journey along with me as we read through the scriptures. I'll be reading from New American Standard. Um, but trust me. As we go on the message and as we finish, you'll understand why we had to read all 18 verses. Amen. So 1 Samuel chapter 1, starting with verse 1. Now there was a certain man named, excuse me, now there was a certain man from Ramathaim Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. It happened year after year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she, Peninnah, would provoke her, Hannah. So she wept and would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than 10 sons? Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. 
Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord, and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. Verse 12, now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah replied, no, my Lord, I am a woman, excuse me, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I, have, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. Verse 18, she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. Let the redeemed of the Lord say, amen. Amen, amen, amen. That wasn't too bad, was it? That was well. Okay, all right. Just making sure. Just making sure. These past two weeks, we have been in an awesome message series titled Overcoming My Triggers. Who has enjoyed these past two Sundays that Pastor Brandon has preached? Amen, amen. Um, in this um, message series, we've been diving into triggers. And I'm going to pull up the definition for you just as a recap. One second. Triggers. Triggers are sensory reminders that cause painful memories or certain symptoms to resurface. And what I love about this message series is that we've been able to dive into the field of psychology and human behavior from a spiritual perspective. A lot of the times when we're thinking about sciences like psychology and, and life science and chemical science, I'm a scientist myself, we, can all, we think that these subjects are the antithesis, antithesis excuse me, to Christianity and God. But the reality is, is that when we study psychology, when we study science, it doesn't point away from God, it points to him. He's the creator of the human body, the brain, our organs, how our bodies function. He's the one who's created the entire world. So creation literally speaks and testifies of a creator. The way our mind works, the way we react to certain things, our emotions, this speaks to a divine, uncreated creator. And so when we dive into these subjects, we're actually learning more about God than the actual field that we're studying. Anybody get that? Anybody catch that? It's, it's crazy how we study these things and we think we're just studying things that are apart from him. But when we look at our behavior, when we look at our, our brains and how these things work, when we look at science, all of these things point back to God. And so these past two Sundays, we've been talking about triggers, how we overcome them, how we walk to overcome these reminders that cause painful memories. Um, most of the time, these triggers that we talk about and that we've been talking about are related to very traumatic experiences in our lives. And this actual study is so complex, but when we talk about triggers, has anybody, uh, does anybody recall or have any immediate triggers that you can think of right now? Traumatic experiences, whether it was a loss of a loved one or a car accident or a betrayal, these experiences that hurt you deeply. And so when you're encountering stimuli, when you're encountering environments, when you're encountering people that bring back those painful memories, you feel it. Sometimes you feel it physically. Sometimes you feel it mentally. Sometimes you feel it emotionally. 
And despite what people may want to portray to you, us as believers, yes, we struggle with triggers. Because even though we are believers and the spirit has filled us, we're still very much in our humanity. And it doesn't do us any service to not talk about these things, to not address them, to not really dive into the root of these things. A lot of times we fake as if these things don't affect us. Oh, because I'm spirit-filled and sanctified. I ain't got no issues. You're a liar. We're still being perfected in his image. We have not arrived yet. And so we cannot continue to um, uh, react or uh, treat these things as, as if they're not real, as if they don't really affect us. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Leticia. And I'm Boomi. And we are from Transformation Music. And we are so excited to let you guys know that we just released our first ever single. It's called Be Exalted. And it's available right now on all platforms. You can find it on Apple Music, Amazon Music, Spotify, you name it, it's there. So go ahead and download it right now. We're so excited to share this with you, and we hope you enjoy it too. Absolutely. And as always, Transformation starts. As I said, in these past two Sundays, we've been talking about triggers from the perspective of, of, of trauma. And this Sunday, while I want to continue, um, not in the exact same vein, but I want to continue in a similar vein. And um, the similar vein I want to talk about is confronting unfulfilled desires. Unfulfilled desires. Unfulfilled desires aren't necessarily triggers in the sense that they may cause traumatic experiences, but they hurt all the same. Has anybody, and I know this to be true, but I'm just asking, has anybody in this room today watching online, has anybody ever had a dream? Raise your hand, raise your hand. I need to know, I need to know. Amen. Yeah. Has anybody had goals, aspirations, yeah. that you've prayed about, that you've dreamed about doing and accomplishing and having, some from the beginning of your childhood, some at various points of your life, all of us at some point have had desires and dreams. And if we'll be honest, some of us, there's some desires that we have that have not yet been fulfilled. And sometimes we get around circles, we get around people who possess the things that we desperately want. We're in environments with people who have accomplished the things that we have been asking and praying God to accomplish for such a long time. And if you'll be honest, sometimes it hurts to be around those people. Not because you don't love them, especially if they're friends and family. It's not because you don't love them, but they're in, they're in possession of something that you've wanted for so long. They're in possession of something that you've prayed about, not just dreamt, but for those of believers, we prayed and asked God, God, this one thing that I desire, everybody I know, my friends and my family, they've accomplished it. They've done it. They're in possession of it. But I, me, standing in the midst of all of them, I'm the only one who doesn't have it. Father, what about me? Have I not been faithful? Have I not served you? I know this desire is within your will. I've read your scriptures. I, I, I've read it. I, I, believe this is, I believe this is according to your will. Like, Father, why is it happening for everybody else but me? I'm praying. I prayed. It seemed like when they prayed, they got it the next day. When they prayed, they got it another day or two weeks after. But I've been praying for four, five, 10, 17, 20, 30, 40 years, and I still don't have it, but all of them have it. It's triggering in the sense that it causes pain. May not cause trauma, but it still causes pain. If we go into our account this morning, 
I don't know how many of you have heard this account in vacation Bible school or, or Bible study. This is an account I've heard all my life, but God has an interesting way. I was listening to a podcast um, with one of my favorite influencers, and he said, as a preacher and adventuring as a believer, nothing in your life is wasted. This account that I've heard 15 billion times came alive to me in a way this week that I never would have thought. And that's because nothing you experience in this life, good or bad, is wasted. Let's go into our account. We have our principal players here, a man by, a man by the name of Elkanah. Elkanah has two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. At this time, bigamy and polygamy was a common practice because the women at that time, um, most women weren't able to provide for themselves. They weren't able to earn living. And so what the men would do in a patriarchal society, they would marry multiple women and they were responsible for providing for each one of those women. And so we see here that Elkanah has two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. And the Bible declares in verse 2 that Peninnah had children, but Hannah did not have children. Can y'all venture with me into the mindset and the perspective of Hannah? Elkanah has two wives. They live in the same household. Peninnah has children. The Bible says that she has sons and daughters. And so we, as, excuse me, because we don't, even though we don't know how many children in total she have, has, we can surmise that she had at least two sons and two daughters. Sons, plural, daughters, plural. So at a minimum, Peninnah had four children. Put yourself in Hannah's shoes. Every day you wake up, you have to see Peninnah with her kids and then look at yourself and realize that you don't have children of your own. A woman typically carries a child for on average nine months. So if at minimum Peninnah has four children and you carry a child on average for nine months, for a minimum total of 36 months, Hannah has had to watch Peninnah carry child after child after child after child. But she cannot conceive. She's had to watch Peninnah bring child after child after child after child into the world. But she can't do it. She's had to watch Panina raise child after child. She's had to watch Panina nurse child after child. She's had to watch Panina feed and nurse and clothe child after child after child. But she does not have children of her own. She's had to watch Elkanah and Panina, not watch, but see from the outside. How Elkanah and Panina, when they go into the marital bed, amen, and they have relations, it seems like every time she comes out, she's conceived. But every time I have relations with my husband, nothing. I want y'all to really grasp the reality of the situation. It's one thing to desire something that you've wanted so much, that you wanted so much all your life. It's one thing to see somebody else have that thing, a close friend or family member have that thing. But to be in the proximity of what you've always desired and it's not happening for you, Daily, she has a reminder of what she does not have. Daily, she has a reminder of what she has prayed and what she has strived for, and it has not brought forth. 
but she's living in the same household as someone who has what she desperately wants. Verse 3 tells us of an account, tells us of, 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 year, of a yearly practice Elkanah would do. Elkanah and his family, Penin and her children and Hannah, they would go up to Shiloh, which is where the tabernacle of the Lord was located, the central place of Israelite worship. They would go up to the temple, excuse me, up to the tabernacle every year and offer sacrifices to the Lord. And the Bible says that when the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Now the Bible, um, excuse me, scholars debate over that phrase that says, but to Hannah, he would give a double portion. Because in the Hebrew, um, scholars have had difficulty translating whether or not it means a double portion or one worthy portion. Here's the reality. I'm not here to pick sides or give a solidified answer. But what I can tell you is this. It doesn't matter whether or not Elkanah gave her a double portion or one worthy portion. The reality is, is that Peninnah has portions for herself and her children. Hannah only has portions for herself. And so even the portions that he gives her year after year is a reminder to her that she does not have children of her own. Can you imagine going up year after year? And I'm sure Elkanah meant it with all his heart. I'm sure he gave her a double or one worthy portion because he really cared about it and loved her. But in Hannah's face, these portions are still a reminder to her as she looks across the table and sees Peninnah with portions for herself and her children. When she looks at her person, she looks to the left and to the right and she realizes that she don't have any kids and these portions are all for herself. Some of us be like, wow, I'd be happy with the double portion. I'd be happy with extra food. But in this context, the surplus is a reminder to her of what she does not have, what she desperately desires. And on top of that, the Bible says that her rival, Peninnah, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it's not enough the fact that she's living in a house. It's not enough the fact that she's living with the person who has what she desperately desires. It's not enough that year after year she's reminded of what she doesn't have through these sacrifices. But Elkanah's other wife knows this and uses this against her to provoke her, to irritate her. Yeah, preach it. come here for a second. So we're both men. I just want to make this clear. In this example, LaVarne is Hannah, I'm Peninnah. But we are both men and we know that we're men and confident in that. Amen? You are Hannah, I'm Peninnah. Turn around to the face. Ha ha, you can't get pregnant. Ha ha, the Lord closed your womb. Ha ha, I have more kids than you. Actually, you don't have kids at all. Ha ha, I got... I have at least four kids. You can't even conceive. You can't even have kids. Ha ha. Elkanah, I mean, I know Elkanah says he loves you, but I'm the one getting knocked up. I'm the one having kids. So does he really love you? Every time we go in that bedroom and we get it going, I come out with a baby in my womb. Every time you go in there, you don't have no kids. You ain't conceiving. What's wrong with you, girl? The Lord must not love you. She has to endure this constant provoking. Now, I know we was laughing, right? But imagine being Hannah, being constantly poked. You already have the reminders living inside of your household. Imagine somebody constantly poking at you, knowing that what they have is what you desperately desire and using that to provoke you. Triggering. 
And so the Bible says that Hannah wept and she couldn't even eat. Weeping is not just tears. It's almost as if your soul is weeping. It's almost as if your heart is literally breaking and aching. She has these layer, trigger after trigger, layer, layer, layer upon these reminders. What she does not have in the Bible says she wept. Her soul was in anguish and she could not even eat. Verse 8 says that Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, excuse me, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than 10 sons? Now, I want to give Elkanah the benefit of the doubt. Contextually, what I, believe he's, he's, what I believe he's projecting is that, like I said, at that time, women depended heavily on men. And so Elkanah was like, listen, I'm providing for you, right? I'm giving you a place to stay. I'm taking care of you, right? Like, am I not better than 10 sons? But sometimes, y'all, we can be so insensitive to what people are going through because we're stuck in our own perspective. Elkanah, you don't have kids with Hannah, but you have kids with your other wife. Hannah, as the woman, cannot conceive. The Bible says the Lord closed her womb. Whether or not they knew that or assumed that, the Bible tells us that the Lord closed her womb. So the Lord, for whatever reason, we don't know in his sovereignty, he prevented her from conceiving. But Elkanah, am I not better to you than ten sons? Elkanah, bruh, it's not about you. Look at your wife. Meet her where she's at. As particularly at this time in society, not only was being a woman was hard enough in that society, but being a barren woman, yeah. a pride of a woman who could not work, who could not provide for herself, was being able to supply children to her husband. But Hannah can't even do that. And she said, he said, am I not better than you? Bruh, you're missing it. Sometimes when we're trying to encourage people, we like to throw scriptures at them. Honey, just wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. Trust in him. He won't fail. His promises are yes and amen. I don't say that sarcastically because I believe that is the truth. But what I'm saying is sometimes we're so quick to throw scriptures that we're not willing to sit with people in their mess, in their depression, in their anguish. We're not willing to sit with them. And be willing to feel what they're feeling so that I can then give you counsel that can help you and encourage you. But when I go in there saying, just wait on the Lord, just wait on the Lord, it's going to happen in due time. You can be so insensitive. Do you know what I'm feeling? Do you not know what I'm experiencing? I know I have to wait on the Lord. I know I'm trusting and believing God. I know that. But just sit with me and listen to me for a second. Just listen. Just listen. Just hear my heart. Don't try to diagnose the problem. Just sit with me in that thing and just let me let it out. The Bible says mourn with those who mourn. Just sit with me. Somebody say, just sit with me. I don't want a solution right now. I just want to be heard. I just want to get out this anguish that I've had for so long. And Elkanah, am I not better than am I not better to you than ten sons? Verse nine says, "Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh." And then I'm gonna skip down to verse ten. It says, 
she, in being greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. If I have not learned anything in this past season of my life, is that I have learned to come to God when I'm in the lowest of my lows. A lot of times we like to put on a front for God. God, I'm strong. God, it's rough right now, but I've got faith. I believe. And I'm not saying that you don't have moments like that, but I know for a fact we've all had moments where we just wanted to be like, forget it. God, why? Why is this happening to me? God, I'm so angry. I'm so upset. I'm so bitter. And you think God can't handle it. You think that God is turned off by your anger. You think God is turned off by your emotion. You think God is turned off by your distress. I'm here to tell you that is a lie from the pit of hell. He cares. First Peter 5. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all, somebody say all, all your cares and anxiety upon him because he cares. When you start believing that he cares, no matter how low of 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 low you get. You can go to him when you at your lowest of lows. You don't have to hide that pain. You don't have to hide that anguish. He knows. He already knows, but he wants to hear it from you. He won't be turned off if you say, God, why is this not happening for me? God, I've been waiting. God, I've been praying. God, they they provoking me. They making me upset and I'm just tired. I'm just tired and I'm upset and I'm frustrated. God, I just, I can't take it. He can't. And he's listening. And watch this. As she was praying, she was weeping. I don't know about you. Last week, a couple weeks ago, I had a good old cry. I was praying and crying. (laughs) Then once I got up for air, Lord, this hurts right now, but I trust you. God, I don't understand why this is not happening according to my timing. I don't understand why there have been many failed attempts, but Lord, I trust you. And then I cried some more. You can cry and pray, cry and pray, cry and pray, cry and pray. God is going to be there listening through it all. Hannah knew who to turn to. She greatly, greatly distressed. She prayed. I know sometimes praying doesn't seem like a viable option when you're in distress. But it is. She greatly distressed prayed to the Lord. In verse 11, she makes a vow. She says, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall never come on his head. A lot of the times we think that having desires um, are idolatrous. We think that if we have a long desire, excuse me, a deep um, a longing for something, we think automatically think that that's inherently an idol, and that's not the case. Yeah. You can have a deep longing for something and still devote God more of yourself to him. Yeah. 
You can still you are you can still manage the position in which you place that desire in relation to God. What makes it an idol is the affection, is the time, is is the is the is, is how much you consume thinking about it and 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 putting time and effort into it more than you devote time to God, more time that you devote to prayer, more time that you devote spending time in his word, more time you devote just to sitting in his presence. That's when it becomes an idol, when it captures your focus. It's not that I can't have desires. It's not that it's bad to have desires. In Matthew 7, he says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven, who is perfect, give to you what is good to those who ask? It's not that he actually delights in giving good gifts to us. So it's not a bad thing if you have a deep longing and desire for it. But you have to make sure that it does not Take the place, assume the throne, assume the position that God has in your life. You got to be able to look at that thing and say, God, I want this so bad, but I don't want it more than I want you. God, you know how much I've been praying for this and seeking for this. I want it so bad, but I don't want it more than I want you. Because when this thing is fulfilled, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen after the fact. I don't know how people are going to treat me. I don't know how things are going to change. But the one thing and the one person that will not change is you. So I want it so bad, but I don't want it more than I want you. Hello, I'm Vernon Hill Sr., teaching pastor here at TCF. Hello, my name is Aretha Hill. I am the director of Glory Girls. Thank you for watching us today. If you're in need of a church community and you feel the Lord leading you to connect to this ministry, become more than a member. Be a partner. When you partner with TCF, you become an agent of change, assisting the vision and the mission of the church to connect lives of the transforming power and love of Jesus Christ. We would love to partner in community and do life with you. So come to TCF. We look forward to seeing you. And remember, transformation starts here. This is how I know that this was not an idol. Hannah's desire to be a mother was not an idol. Look at the vow she makes. Oh, Lord, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget me, but will give me a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and the razor shall never come upon his head. I know times in church we we look at this verse and we immediately see it within the context of a baby dedication. Father, we dedicate our child back to you. And that's a great thing. That's an awesome thing. Don't get me wrong. But y'all need to understand the context of this. Hannah is literally saying, God, if you give me a son, I'm going to go to the temple, to the tabernacle, as the scriptures records later in this chapter. After I've weaned him, I'm going to place him in the hands of Eli the priest. And from that point on, I only get to see him once a year when I go to worship. So in asking God for this thing that she's desired for so long and that she's had to endure pain and provocation for, she is willing to sacrifice it to forfeit her rights to raise that child for the rest of his life. Jesus. Ain't that crazy? That the one thing that she, that she prayed for, that she was in anguish about, she's willing to give it back to the Lord. That's how I know that Hannah's devotion was to the Lord. That's how I know it was not an idol. Because when you pray and when you ask God for that one thing and you're willing to sacrifice it up back to the Lord, that shows where your heart is. Hannah's heart was devoted to the Lord. The one thing that Peninnah begged her and poked her about, she said, God, once I weaned him, I will bring him to the temple and I will drop him off. And I now relinquish my rights.
to raise him. Don't y'all know that by doing this, she was going to miss out on birthdays, miss out on opportunities to put on his clothes, miss out on opportunities to put him to bed at night, spending quality time with him. This wasn't no flimmy sacrifice. This was a real deal. Something that she prayed and sought the Lord for, and she was willing and said, God, I'm going to give him back to you. And sure enough, if you read the chapter, Hannah kept her promise. Once she weaned Samuel, she brought him to the tabernacle and gave him to Eli, and she went back home. Now, to all the mothers in the place, can I just get y'all to go with there? Can you imagine carrying that child for nine months, weaning him for two to three years, then dropping him off at the temple so that he can serve the Lord all the days of his life. And the only times you get to see him are once a year. Can you imagine that? Can you feel that? But Hannah wanted to show the Lord that I don't want a son more than I want you. And the chapter reveals to us that because of her vow and her willingness to fulfill it, the Bible says that God blessed her with more sons and daughters. We rejoice in this, and this is a great thing, but I want to take you down a little further because this is what got me excited. Eli sees Hannah in the temple, and he does not hear her, but he sees her lips moving. And so he assumes that she's drunk. And she's like, no, Eli, no, 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 I'm not drunk. I'm a woman of oppressed spirit. I've been pouring out my soul to the Lord. Don't consider me drunk. I'm speaking out of my concern and my anguish and my provocation. And Eli says to her, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. This is what blessed me. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Thank you, Mom. Her countenance was no longer sad. I love that word. Now, here's what blessed me. When Hannah left, she had no confirmation of when this was going to be fulfilled. When you have a longing and a desire that you've been longing for a long, long time, the number one question you ask God is when? Yeah. When? When she came out of prayer and she encountered Eli and Eli joined in her and with her saying, God, may God grant your request. He didn't even know what she was praying about. He said, but God, may God grant your request. She left and she had no confirmation indication that the scripture records that she knew when God was going to fulfill this request. But even though she did not have a win, she left no longer feeling sad. How? When it comes to the thing that you've been praying and seeking and desiring God for, how can you leave the place of prayer with no indication of when but not leave sad? She had confidence that the Lord heard her. See, I don't know about anybody in this room, but I'm standing in something that I'm praying, believing God for. 
I have not received a win yet. But as many times as I've prayed and cried and prayed and cried and prayed and cried and prayed and cried, I have not gotten a win yet. But I was able to leave that place of prayer with joy. I was able to leave that place of prayer with some joy on the inside because I had confidence that my God heard me. I kept coming to the Lord. Lord, I'm laying this at your feet because, Lord, you know how much I want this, but I don't want it more than you, and I have not gotten a win yet. But every time, it was like a miracle, y'all. Every time that I got up from that place of prayer, every time I released those tears, every time I released that anguish, I didn't leave feeling sad. I came up with joy. I came up with strength. I came up with nude hope because I knew that the Lord heard me. Psalm 116 says, I love the Lord because he heard my voice. He heard my supplications. So I don't have to leave a win. I don't have to leave prayer with the win as long as I have the confidence to know that he hears my voice. I don't have to stay sad. I don't have to stay bitter. I don't have to stay angry because the God who hears, Elroy, the God who sees, he hears and he sees me. In Hannah's story, the Bible records that the next day, her and Elkanah went up to the the temple to worship, the tabernacle. And when they came back home, they engaged in some marital worship. Amen. And then the Bible says in the midst of that marital worship, the Lord remembered her and she conceived But I don't even want y'all to get excited about that. I want y'all to get excited about the fact that Hannah did not know that the next day her desire was going to be fulfilled. She didn't know that going into the next day. All she knew was that I poured out my heart to the Lord. He heard me and I just got to keep walking. I just got to keep taking step after step. And I believe that God is going to grant me this thing. I don't know when. I don't have to have a win. I just need to know and stand and believe that my God has heard my petitions, that he's heard my voice, that he's heard my supplication. He has heard the bitterness of my soul. He has heard me every time I've cried, every time I've wept. He has heard me. And I don't have to have a win. I don't need a win for my countenance to change. I don't need a win for my joy to come up. I don't need a win. I don't need a win. I don't need a win. don't need a win a win would be nice it would be great but I don't need a win for my countenance to change because when I know who I'm talking to and when I have confidence to know who I'm praying to and that he hears me I don't need it for my countenance to change somebody declare this morning father a win would be nice you don't have to repeat you can repeat in your heart father I don't I I would like a win 
I would like to know a win, a win this desire I've been praying to you about. I would like a win. It would be nice. But Father, I declare this morning that I don't need it for my perspective, for my countenance to change. Just the joy of being able to communicate with you, to approach your throne, to bring these cares to you, to bring it before your throne. The privilege I have to come to you in prayer, Father, I just thank you that when I have desires and, and that you don't condemn me for having them, but when I struggle, when they're not fulfilled yet, I can bring them to you and you care. And that you'll take the time to hear me. You know, so you hear me. You hear me. You hear me. Stand to your feet in this place. Thanks for listening to the Get Transformed podcast. We hope that you would subscribe so you can continue to be empowered by the latest message. For more information about Transformation Christian Fellowship or Pastor Brandon Hill, visit our website, transformationchristianfellowship.org, or download our free mobile app on the App Store or Google Play Store. If you would like to support this ministry, simply text TCF1, to the number 94000 or visit our website. We thank you for your generosity and for listening to the Get Transformed podcast. And remember, transformation starts here.